I'm Ben Fern. And I'm Paul Sheridan. Thank you for listening to the Words of Grace podcast. Yeah, we've decided that we would do some special topics uh, for extra podcasts, and those will probably go out on a Thursday. Um, and we've just recorded a, an extremely profound podcast on Black History Month. There were lots of um, emotional moments in it, a very powerful testimony from the Reverend Anita Cook, yeah. who's very much an advocate for racial justice. And yeah. her story is just amazing to hear. It's really fantastic. So uh, we will advertise it. It's out on Thursday rather than a Tuesday when our normal podcast will go out. I'd recommend that you listen to it. Comments are, are welcome, but uh, that's where you'll find it on the normal Spotify, other streams, and also on the uh, Diocese website. Yep, it's available now, so please do give that a listen and help us to reflect more on racial justice and uh, hopefully encourage us all to do more to uh, raise awareness of it. Yep, and uh, see you soon on our normal podcast. See you soon. Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Ben Fern. Good to be with you, Paul. This is going out on the 31st of October, so very well placed, Halloween, but also Way Faith Fortnight. But wear your badges. If you're not wearing your badges, you should be. And yes, Halloween night, All Hallows, or we've got a, a member of the clergy in the room, so they may start off on what, what it all means but in a minute. But, um, well, as I've got two churches that are dedicated to all saints, it's not the eve of all hallows, it's the eve of all saints. It's our, the evening before our birthday. I knew you were going to say something intelli- also intelligent. Chance, also a chance to watch the Halloween heists uh, episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well. Okay. That's not uh, to become a tradition. Don't think that's, that's relevant or in context at all, but <laughs> <laughs> just segue into that. People have now left and Googling that, Ben. Yeah. They've just gone off. They're not listening anymore. It's not the first time I mentioned Brooklyn Nine on this podcast. No, you so are a bit of a fan, aren't you? Yes, I'm afraid so. Yeah. But yeah, just a reminder, going back on topic, Way of Faith Fortnite starts on the 22nd of October, running to the 5th of November. But as we always say, it's weighing your faith can happen any time of year. This is just a nice sort of campaign to raise awareness of that. Yeah, that's great. And, and going back to the numbers of listeners, it's really great uh, at the recent development day when people come up and say how much they're enjoying it. Um, so, yeah, please do get in touch. Words of Grace at Sheffield.Anglican.org with comments and suggestions. We've had some lovely emails recently saying very nice things, but we're not averse to having a critical email either, are we, Ben? No constructive criticism. It's we always welcome. helpful, yes. Yeah. We'll both have a little cry when you do that, but we'll be fine. And it, it was great to see Paul signing so many autographs at Dev Day. It was. Uh, the signed yeah. photo's gone down really well with women over the age of 75 yes absolutely yeah Yeah. my target audience anyway (laughs) we want to get on to our guest before we go down a rabbit hole that we shouldn't have gone down absolutely we've got Stephen Gardner with us who I'm delighted to say is wearing an R2D2 themed hoodie yeah well never knowingly underdressed yes so I know we're going to get on very well (laughs) so Stephen Gardner is the oversight minister of the Red House Partnership of Churches north of Doncaster He's been the vicar of one of the parishes in the partnership for over 18 years. Stephen's wife, Jackie, is also ordained and as a self-supporting minister, or as Stephen describes it, bog off, buy one, get one free minister, she and Stephen serve together across the partnership. They have two sons, Josh, who is studying for a master's degree in acting at York, 
and Joel, who's hoping to start a degree in aeronautical engineering at Swansea. Stephen grew up in the diocese. He lived and worshipped in Sprotborough, um, a friend of Amanda Barraclough, possibly, as well. I, I know Amanda very well. And St Mary's, which is uh, still a very special place and has become more special this last year. Fantastic. Amanda was our first guest on the podcast. Ah, and, yeah, very much a friend excellent. of the podcast. Very much a friend of the yeah. podcast. Uh, Stephen was confirmed by Bishop David Lunn, and he went to Southampton University, where he studied aerospace engineering. He then spent eight years designing and building satellites for a small firm based in Newbury in Berkshire. He takes great delight in the fact that his degree is in engineering and not theology. So whenever he's been licensed oh, yes. to a new position in the diocese, you know that something isn't rocket science. <laughs> ro not rocket science, sorry. Stephen is passionate about serving the very poorest communities in our diocese. Two of his parishes now are pit villages, and they have very high levels of deprivation. His other passions are music and worship. He plays a bass guitar, and being a total geek on all things technology-related or science fiction, especially Star Wars. So, Stephen, you just sound like a, a great all-round guy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, although I have to, I have to say, for the benefit of those uh, watching in black and white, uh, the R2D2 top is a little more 3D than it was before lockdown started. But that you can be forgiven on. That. That's fine. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try not to show too much bias, Stephen, because I'm a big geek too, especially yeah, Star Wars. So. This is our first Amongst meeting, friends. but yeah, we're already firm friends, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think because of that fascinating bio, Stephen, the best place to start is the rocket scientist. Yes. You literally are a rocket scientist. I, I am, I am, well, I, I, I'm a rocket engineer. Um, I, I, I was never it's not exactly a scientist. Brain surgery. It's not exactly brain surgery. Yeah, I, I, was, <laughs> I was never a scientist. I was always much more practical in what I wanted to do and be. But space has fascinated me since I was a small child. Uh, I remember a, uh, an auntie, great auntie, told me about a comet when I was, I think I must have been four. Uh, and I spent the whole journey home steaming up the car windows trying to spot this comet. And I've been fascinated by the sky ever since. Uh, R2-D2 is on because at the age of nearly seven, I spent a very cold afternoon outside Cole Brothers in Sheffield queuing up to see the very first Star Wars film. Um, and it was just a natural career progression to want to be involved in, in all things space. And I didn't know how it was going to happen found the degree at Southampton and had four glorious years down there and then got a job with a, a tiny little company who were looking for a space geek. Um, they were a space engineering company, but they made black boxes full of electronics. They didn't really understand the whole um, putting things together to make a whole satellite or anything like that. So I was a brand new graduate and very quickly I was the go-to guy in the place for, for all things space and and sky related um in the end uh i was the the lead designer and project manager for a satellite uh, for a group in australia so i did quite a lot of travel around the world i've made it to to cape town and to canada uh pakistan which was a really interesting visit very early on in my career uh and then my last big journey was over to australia with this project um sadly the company went bust on the day I discovered I'd been selected for training for ordination. Um, there's a longer story there that we might get into, but basically God burnt my boats so that I would get out of them. Um, and um, the satellite was eventually launched just after I was ordained. And I remember sitting in uh, my, our conservatory where my computer was, online watching the launch live and realizing that about four years of my life was sat on top of a giant firework 
uh, and realising how scary that was. Uh, it made it into orbit. I've got a photograph of it as it left the the rocket for the last time, um, and it exceeded its design lifetime by about 300%, which we were very pleased with. And, and it's still up there somewhere, circling at about 800 kilometres above the Earth's surface. And every so often I get a flash of nostalgia and go, there's a, a, a NASA site you can go and track any satellite because they have to make sure it's not going to bump into anything important. Uh, and I go and work out where FedSat is and just have a little bit of nostalgia. That's absolutely fantastic. And <laughs> I very much hope the satellite is Death Star shaped or X-Wing shaped. Uh, I'm afraid it's not. It's about the size of a beer fridge. Um, the company I worked for was into small satellites. So the, the, the sort of thing that NASA and the European Space Agency get into are, are the size of buses or small trucks. Uh, we didn't do anything that was bigger than about half metre cube. Uh, and FedSat was a very, very boring cube. And we fitted as much into that as we could. Have you ever had a very cheesy encounter where someone said, oh, this is like rocket science to me, and you'd be able to say, actually? Uh, probably not, because if you know me, it's not very long before I make a rocket science joke or, a, or a rocket science analogy. <laughs> uh, as, a, as you said in the bio, I'm, I'm quite pleased of the fact that my degree is in engineering. And uh, when, a, when a minister takes a new post, we have to make what's called the declaration of assent. It's that posh bit that the bishop reads out and then you have to hold a Bible and make solemn declarations. Um, and on the official paperwork, it includes all of your titles. So, you know, Master of Engineering, uh, Postgraduate Diploma in Theology, Member of the Tufty Club, Clerk in Holy Orders, that sort of stuff. And I, I just, I, I don't say MEng, I say Master of Engineering with, with huge relish because I'm, I'm just really chuffed that actually my learning is not just theological. My learning is based in something that's incredibly practical and I spent eight years in in a real setting, struggling with real issues and stress and a small company that went bankrupt twice. Once it was rescued, once it wasn't. Um, I, 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 was, I got a huge amount of experience out of life that I wouldn't have had if I just ended up being a vicar from the age of 25. Um, and I really value those times. And, do you know, sometimes... There are some days when I wonder about going back because <laughs> I enjoyed it so much. And then something like the James Webb Space Telescope launches and I'm just sat in front of YouTube or, or Google or whatever, just in awe um, and thinking, you know, that was so much fun. So when you were came from university, went into this uh, job yeah, and you're saying as this company was going bust, your panel is sitting or wherever, you know, you've got some sort of level of... Uh, uh, vocational stuff going on yeah. that journey was happening in parallel it, it, so what point did you sit there and think i've wanted to be a rocket scientist all my life but there is this other avenue opening up and and how did that sit with you at the time well it goes back to sprotborough um stuart matthews canon stuart matthews was the rector of sprotborough when i was uh, growing up um and i went to teze with a group from the diocese of sheffield um, and I came back and Stuart asked me to speak at St Mary's about my experiences and he gave me the sermon slot to speak about it one Sunday morning and at the end of that he sent me a little card which I still have saying 
how well I'd spoken, had I ever considered being a reader, a lay preacher in the church. I'd already started work in Newbury by this stage. I'd come back to do the, the talk. And I was like, oh, I'll explore that. that. That feels like a good fit. I can still carry on playing with me toys. Uh, sorry, building satellites for a serious engineering occupation. Uh, and, and I can follow perhaps where I think God has been leading me towards being able to use the gifts I've got in a particular way. So I went for selection in Oxford as a reader. They wouldn't let me go forward for training as a reader until I'd spoken to the director of ordinance and my vicar about whether I ought to be ordained. I spent 48 hours running around like a headless chicken because that was really not what I wanted at that stage. And I wasn't ready. Um, so we agreed I was going to be a reader, not a vicar. Uh, then in the, the years after that, I met Jackie, who had grown up in a Church of England church uh, that was as dead a church as you could be a part of and actually came to faith when she joined a free church. So she had um, an interesting view of the nature of the Church of England at that point and wasn't mad keen on the idea that, that she was going to be married to someone who was going to be a vicar. So that was never on the cards. And then in 1995, just before we got married, I was at uh, an event and... I often say God sent an angel with a baseball bat to slap me around the back of the head. And that was the moment when I really felt that God was calling me to be ordained. Uh, Jackie and I worked out whether we ought to be getting married, whether she fancied spending the rest of her life in the Church of England. She's now ordained herself, which is just the Holy Spirit giggling furiously in the background of her life. Um, and... It was another five years before I went forward for selection. Jackie wasn't well, and I needed to do a lot of growing and developing. God had a lot still to do with me in those years. I learned a lot about worship. I learned a lot about being part of a, uh, a multi-generational church, a lot about being um, on the edges of what you might call Anglican ecclesiology. The, the service I was most involved with was the one that looked least like a Church of England church, which probably explains why some of the churches that I've been leading for longer look less like Church of England churches than others do. Um, and we came to a point where I was pursuing the, um, the vocations. I'd been to the selection panel. I was waiting to hear back from the bishop. We knew the company was in real straits. We hadn't been paid for two months. And then the bishop rang on the morning about 10 minutes after I got a call saying, you need to be in work. I'd been off, uh, signed off with stress. And um, the bishop said, yes, I've been selected for training. Uh, I went into work and was made redundant. Um, we'd, we'd prayed the previous night because we'd owed £1,100 on a car loan. We were going to have to sell our car to pay that off. We didn't have anywhere to live. We were about to get thrown out by our landlord. Um, and I didn't know how we were going to get any money. By the end of the day, friends had given us, completely unknown of the, the situation we were in, a gift of £1,100 to cover the cost of the car. Another friend had said, come and stay with us, live with us. Another friend said, you can start work on Monday for my computer firm. And on the Saturday morning, the day after, we discovered that Jackie was pregnant with our first child. So we went from holding up our hands and laughing and saying, God, there is absolutely nothing we can do on the Thursday night to by the time we woke up on Sunday morning, our whole lives had just changed completely. 
Um, and as I, I joked at the beginning, uh, you know, in order to get me out of the boat, God had to set fire to it while I was still in it. And I'm actually quite glad about that. I didn't leave engineering because I was jaded or unhappy with it. I left to follow God's call. Um, and I still love going back and doing some of the engineering things that I did. Uh, it's been a real joy that our youngest is wanting to be an aeronautical engineer himself. And we have incredible conversations about all of that stuff. And I'm having to relearn some of the things that I thought I knew a long time ago. But I know that this is where I'm meant to be now. I know that, that this, is, this isn't second best. This isn't something I, I did because I, I, I got jaded with being a, a rocket scientist. I loved being a rocket scientist. I adored it. It was, it was the best job in the world, except for being where I am now, which is, um, someone said to me when I first got the call on that day when the baseball bat hit, this is gonna be the most fun and exciting thing you've ever done. Two people, two people completely independently said exactly those words to me on that day. And you know what, they're not wrong. Dreadful, awful, maddening, distressing, saddening. You know, the things that we've seen and done, the, the people that we've lost, the families we've supported along the way. It's, it's awful sometimes. But the joys and the delights of seeing people transformed by the love of Jesus, it's... It's addictive. It really is. Um, and I, I've been at Woodlands 18 years. Uh, I've now taken on responsibility for, for Adwick and for Skelbrook and for Carcroft, Oston and Skello. Um, and just a new challenge to, to, to draw that partnership together, um, to see where the church can grow and, and prosper. Um, like People say, how long are you going to stay? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I was I wasn't planning to leave engineering, and God had other plans. So I'm just going to keep going with what God seems to be doing until God has other plans. That's a fantastic. Thanks for that. Really good journey. We love those hearing those journeys because it's so it's so interesting to hear people's journey in that point. So the young Stephen, yeah, growing up in Sprotbra, yeah, born and bred there. What did church mean to that young Stephen at uh, the one who's fascinated by the night sky at five or six? What did church mean to you at that point? Well, um, honestly, it was a very mixed experience. It was the experience of some lovely, faithful people, some of whom are still around and may listen to this podcast. So if you're there, Miss Brockman, thank you for all that you did. But... I have to say, as a child, the faith was was something we did on a Sunday because we had to do it. Um, I remember being volunteered by my brothers to try and turn off my parents' alarm one Sunday morning in order that we didn't have to go to church. I can't say that church was something that ever really excited me as a child. What about your parents? So, so your parents were taking you. Was that out of a deep faith for them? Uh, my mum, my mum particularly, was a, a lady of immense faith and. Uh, she loved singing, she loved worshipping, um, and it was her sort of patient, thoughtful, caring, um, persistence. Uh, I know she prayed for us every single day of our lives, um, 
and and it was sort of through her that I carried on going to church. My brothers uh, fell away when they went to university from going to church. Um, I became a, an altar server at St Mary's because that was it was quite a traditional church in those days, and and that was the the, the only role I could really fulfil that wasn't just being part of the congregation. And I really valued that, and I learned a lot from. Stuart Matthews, who was the most incredible preacher, he could read the Bible. He can, he's still around, bless him. He can read the Bible with such meaning that he wouldn't even need to preach. I remember one day he was reading um, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and it was like light bulbs were popping in my brain as he was reading the gospel, as I was holding it on the little, on the little shelf in front of me. Um, but God was... God was distant. I was confirmed at the age of 13. I meant the promises I made when I stood before David Lund. But God was like the king or the queen. Um, I, I'd never seen God. I'd only seen the queen once back in 1977 at Doncaster Racecourse on the back of her Land Rover for the Silver Jubilee. And she probably read my name twice because I nominated two people for the Royal Maundy. I don't think his majesty has ever read my name or I've never seen him with my own eyes. That was my vision of God. I knew he was real. I knew there were things that he said that I wanted to follow. And I knew that that was important to me. But it wasn't until uh, an event in my teens, Stuart had taken us to Willow Grange. We were camping. We'd gone on a night hike and I have never been more scared in my entire life than I was walking up the Lim Valley in the pitch darkness. And I had an experience of the presence of God there that I still can't quite explain. I went back there on the weekend before I was ordained because you do a, a retreat before you get ordained. And obviously I was ordained into Sheffield Diocese. I was back at Whirlow. I went for a walk and I found the bridge where this moment had happened. I knew God was with me and I'd never felt that before. And I knew he loved me and I knew he cared for me and I knew he cared. My, my parents split up when I was younger uh, and that was incredibly painful because we, we'd played the game. We'd, we'd been good Christian people. We'd gone to church. We'd done everything we needed to do to get a good life. Thank you very much. And God let us down. And I realised at that moment that was not how God viewed me. And it was not how I wanted to view God. And I, I knelt in my tent that night with a little cross that I bought from the Willow Grange shop. You know, the, you know those wonderful shops you get at conference centres where you get the really worthy books and some lovely Bibles. And then you get some sort of nice Christian art. And then you get that little bit of Christian tat at the end that poor people can afford. Well, I, I spent me two pounds on a little bit of Christian tat and I still have that cross. It sits on one of my teddies on my bed, on my bed head at home. And I held it in my hand and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to go where you want to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will go anywhere. Uh, and that was the moment that God stopped being distant like the king, but became real and present. When you had that amazing sort of moment of clarity, did you feel a conflict at all with your sort of interest in science and space? Or did you think, actually, these don't have to be in conflict with each other? I didn't want them to be in conflict with each other, but everybody around me told me that they were. So I did a lot of reading. Um, John Polkinghorne, I think, 
uh, is a chap's name, a hugely influential scientist, but a huge man of faith. And, and after the, the sort of initial flurry of people telling me that there was no way that science and faith would ever be compatible, I then did my own looking and reading and discovered that most of the great scientists who made the great discoveries, um, certainly before this century, were almost all people of faith. They were people whose faith didn't sit in conflict with their scientific discoveries. And in fact, many of my predecessors in the rectories of England were the first scientists, rectors who would do incredible experiments. So over time, I've come to view um, science as a way of describing the universe that God has made. And I don't see a conflict. I'm, I'm not a believer in the science versus faith. I think the, 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 that argument is actually atheism versus faith. And science is just a convenient bat with which to attempt to batter people. But I, I, I don't see any, a conflict. I really don't. Absolutely. And we've had John Hibbard on the podcast recently. And he was a former atheist himself, scientific background. But one of the things he said was actually... It's almost similar in terms of faith and science. You're, you're exploring the evidence for yourself. It's not incompatible with each other. And you mentioned about famous scientists in the past. I know people like Michael Faraday, of course, were Christians. Indeed. And Professor John Lennox in the present day, I think, is a very good uh, Christian apologist, uh, but very much a, a man of science as well. Indeed. Um, I, one of the things that really helped me was bizarrely Isaac Asimov, who's one of my favorite science fiction authors. I've got shelves full of his books. And he wrote uh, a short story called As It Happened. And it's the story of two brothers and one said, I've just had this amazing vision of the universe and I need you to write it down. And I said, okay, okay, well, I've not, got, I've not got much to write down on, so you'll have to be brief. He said, okay, well, 15 billion years ago, the universe didn't exist and it exploded in a vast um, expansion of energy. And it, no, 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 I, I don't think you realise how little paper we've got. I was like, okay, okay, okay. The universe was created and it was, uh, and the galaxies, no, no, brother, you really don't understand. I've only got seven pieces of papyrus and they're only small. Seven, yeah. Okay, here we go, Aaron. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void. And I love that. I love that. And for me, as I look at the story of creation, the poem of creation at the start of Genesis, I don't see any dissociation between that and the story of how astrophysicists say our universe came into being. Especially if you imagine that Moses was stood where the earth was going to be and God just moved him backwards in time. You do it from that perspective and every last detail of that creation narrative absolutely follows what science says would have happened on the earth and in the skies and all the rest of it. And I don't know any other creation myth in any other religion that follows the science. So for me, the science backs up the story of faith, the vision that Moses must have had to have seen that from the beginning. I think it shows God's majesty far more to see the universe being billions of years old and massive and huge rather than thinking 
oh no, we've got to somehow shoehorn in that it's only a thousand years old, yeah. sort of thing, or thousands of years old. Hands that flung stars into space to crawl nails surrendered. For those who are slightly longer in the tooth, or a, a song at present that's really captured my attention a hundred billion times. It's a New Hill song. Uh, and as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are formed. In the vapour of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. Just a gorgeous... You, it sounds so learned with this. And <laughs> I think the way you've described science and religion not being incompatible, I think, is really effective. It sounds to me, if you had this discussion lots of times before, perhaps with atheists who have come to you and said, no, they, they, they have to be in conflict. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons why you discover that I'm a rocket scientist within a very short period of time of, of knowing me. People often say, you know, if, if you meet someone um, and... Uh, you have to ask them if they're from Yorkshire. They're not. Because they'll tell you immediately if they're from Yorkshire. Um, and, if, and if they don't, don't embarrass them because they're, they're not from Yorkshire. Um, and I think it's the same with me in rocket science. I try, and, I, I try and wear my geek credentials, as you can see, with a rather loud R2-D2 top quite firmly. On the way here this morning, I was in a, a shop and a woman said to me, she, she clocked the dog collar because I've got a, a Bibstock dog collar on. So you can just see a little bit of the, the white plastic at my neck. And she, she looked at me with this rather curious look. She said, are you a vicar? I was like, yeah. You don't look like a vicar. And I said, thank you. That's the nicest compliment I've had all week. Um, and so I, I, I tend to put it out there because it does provoke those conversations. And I can't tell you, I've lost count of the number of times people say, but how can you be a vicar and a scientist? And I, it, it, I get sad sometimes that people are so convinced that science teaches something that's different to the universe that, that God's created. It's, for me, the wonder, I often say first principles for me, is there a God? And I stand in a dark place on a clear night and I look at a hundred billion stars stretching out in the universe. And I look at the photos from the James Webb Space Telescope looking across the galaxies and back in time. And I cannot believe that such profound beauty is an accident. I can't believe that I'm stood there going, wow, as a result of a 10 zillion to the power of 10 zillion to one chance. It just doesn't compute. And so at that point I say, well, there must be someone who has set this in motion because there is so much delight in the universe. And you look at pictures of galaxies that as far as I'm aware, no one else has looked at until the James Webb Space Telescope popped it into focus. And the beauty of those, the extravagance of beauty in the universe is, for me, it's a clincher. I look at it and say, there must be someone who created this. And as I look and ask the question, who? Then I discover the scriptures as they speak of Jesus. And I see in that man the authentic person of God. And what he says sets my heart and my soul on fire every day. Um, I, I'd love to say I'm one of these people who prays and 
and uh, reads the Bible for a full half hour every morning before the day starts. I'm not. I'm the sort of person who would pray, oh Lord, please help me to focus. Oh, look, a squirrel. Um, so I have to pray in other ways. And actually one of the ways I found to pray and, and read scripture every day happened because of the pandemic. We started live streaming on Facebook. I, I live streamed on Facebook from York just before the lockdown started. And I carried that on right the way through the pandemic. Um, I, I stopped for a while because I, was, I wasn't very well last year. I was off sick last year for a number of months. Um, but I decided to pick it up again. And, and most days when I can uh, at six o'clock, I'm on the partnership Facebook page and I just pick a verse of the day from the, the Bible app that I use and just share something about it. And I still get excited. And there are still things I learn. Um, I remember during the pandemic, I, the verse came up with the first verse of Psalm 23. And I read Psalm 23 literally in the 10 minutes before I was due to go online. And God gave me a, a, a feeling and an outline of that psalm. I've read that psalm a zillion times and suddenly there was new I could see new seams of gold running through it I spent a whole week on Psalm 23 in the evenings and that's what delights me is there's always more to find it's God is is a the universe is a is a tiny image of God in that the further you look the more there is to see and the deeper you look, the more beauty there is. And you think you can look up at the night sky and see 100 billion stars. But the further you look, there are 100 billion galaxies full of hundreds of billions of stars. And for me, the same is true of God. The deeper I look, the more there is. And the more there is to find and discover and explore. Um, and I, I could never be bored. So taking that moment, that, that huge view of God and who he is... Um, not diminishing that immense, the majesty of God. We've discussed before, you and I, Stephen, about the community that you work in, communities that you know my parents came from, mining, deprived mining communities. Yeah. How does that delight in the majesty of God that you've just described very eloquently then transfer itself into the day-to-day -day grittiness of communities that are affected by the cost of living crisis, all those little trite phrases that we're using now yeah, to, yeah. to describe deprivation and um, austerity that has impacted people's lives in a way that the three of us sat around the table is not impacting as much. Yeah, yeah. So how does that view of majesty of God really impact your day-to-day -day ministry in a community that some, for some people is a struggle just to get out of bed and feed their kids? I think it's... In the story of Jesus, God knew that his majesty and glory and wonder were too much for us human beings to be able to understand. And so the words became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus moved into the neighborhood and gave us practical ways to understand and know God. You don't have to understand the vastness of the universe to understand the care of someone who raised a child from the dead or paused to heal a sick woman, someone who stopped the disciples from sending children away, someone who talked about the poor as people who were worthy of God's care and God's grace. Um, the story of Rich Man and Lazarus, I mentioned Stuart telling 
has been an incredibly important story in my life as we moved. I, I grew up in Sprotborough. We were a, we were a, it was a lovely middle class upbringing. I went to some lovely middle class schools. Um, I then went to Adwick School, Adwick High School, Adwick Comprehensive, because that's where kids from Sprotborough went. Um, and I had a rough time at school, and that community was was in a really bad way. I was at school during the miners' strike. Um, I remember driving past the motorway um, uh, exit that exists on Sprotborough Road. You can't get onto the motorway unless you're a, a service vehicle, but the police vans were lined up there. I remember seeing that very clearly. Um, and at the age of 18, I vowed I would never willingly enter the village of Woodlands ever again. I shook the dust off my feet. And when Jackie came and suggested at the end of my curacy that I might like to consider being the vicar of All Saints Woodlands, I told her I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole and it would be over my dead body. And to this day, I'm pretty certain the Holy Spirit went, that could be arranged. Uh, and I've been the vicar there with joy. I'm not saying anything that they don't know. The people there know this story. I've been there with joy, patiently trying to serve the least, the last, the lost, the lonely, the distressed. How does that fit with the majesty of God? I know, I know to the very last nucleus of the last atom in my being that God is real and that the love he shows us in Jesus is as real. And so I have to follow. I have to do what he's called me to do, which is to love, which is to show love practically. Um, one of my great heroes is William Booth, the foundation, founder of the Salvation Army. Uh, and he said there are three things people need in this order, soup, soap, and salvation. There's no point in talking about Jesus and faith to someone who is hungry and homeless Actually, what we have to do is we have to feed the hungry, not because we're going to use them as gospel fodder, but because that's a good thing to do. That's a, a loving thing to do. We need to, to, to help people to find security in housing and in their lives, not because we want to have the opportunity to go all Jesus on them, but because God loves them and we're called to love them. And maybe, just maybe, in the process of doing that, we earn the right to be asked a question about faith that we can then, in love and gentleness, begin to explore with people. We, um, I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I saw a quote recently, live your life so that atheists begin to doubt their own beliefs. And that's, that's what I want to do. The, the, the galaxies and the universe sustain me in my understanding of who God is and my connection with him. What I do is about making his call on my life real by being obedient in loving and caring. And just occasionally a, a bit of rocket science pops out. So my favourite verse is from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And that, that lovely hymn that comes after. On a satellite there's a box that helps the satellite point in the right direction. It helps the solar panels point towards the sun to get power. It helps the communication antenna to point towards the ground station to receive commands. It helps the cameras to point in the right direction to do the job that it's meant to do. That box is called an attitude control unit. 
And I reckon that's what all of us Christians need. We need an attitude control unit that keeps us connected to the Spirit, that keeps us listening to the Father, and keeps us following Jesus to do the job he's called us to do, which in my case is to to love a village that is beloved of God. And now eight villages that are beloved of God in a part of the diocese, to be honest with you, I've there used to be a big map on the wall behind here, and I'm convinced that in North Doncaster it said, here be dragons. Um, we're a bit forgotten in the north of Doncaster, um, but Jesus hasn't forgotten us. I think what we've been learning this morning has been that God surprises people, and however tough times can get, um, it can be turned around. You've mentioned in your own life. Yeah, yeah. Just over that few days from that Thursday to the Sunday, um, but also for deprivation-faced where yeah. you've grown up. And I think what you've shown as well is having grown up in that environment, you can relate to people that way and help to reassure them and to empower them. Yeah. Well, I, I, I didn't grow up in that environment. I grew up in leafy suburbs of Sprotborough. It was but around long, that environment. Yeah, so. but it was, a, it was a long journey that Jackie and I went on to move from what we expected ministry would look like to God capturing our hearts um, I did a placement in a little church on the edge of Derby that was forgotten. It was it was in a cul-de-sac. No one cared about St. Barney's. Um, and we learned there about God's heart for the poor. Uh, and then uh, back to the diocese at Curacy in Brinsworth and Catcliffe and Treaton. Again, places that, that had parts that were incredibly struggling. Um, and to move to be a pit village pastor, yeah, um, it was about learning to be a part of that community. And now, 18 years on, I've lived there longer than I've lived anywhere else. I'm, 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 from, I'm from North Doncaster. I'm, I'm a Woodlands lad. You know, Adwick, Carcroft and Skello are my patch. Um, and it's that, I think, that gives us the permission to then be able to offer help. We're not, we're not coming in as some middle-class saviours. We, 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 we nailed our colours to the mast. Our kids went to the local school as painful as that's been at times. Uh, our families lived in this community and we've taken everything that that community gets as well. Um, but we're just able to do something to try and bring light into darkness. A food bank that was set up during the, the pandemic. I've just written a proposal to the grants committee for a debt benefit and advice service um, that I'm really hoping comes through because there is such an immense need and it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Stephen, there's a lot from your testimony to celebrate and we really appreciate your time today. Um, it's been a really fascinating story. Before we close, we're just going to throw some questions at you now. So okay, I'm... guys, right, we're not going full on, full on geeky boys, okay? Paul has already preempted what I was going to ask <laughs> because I'm itching. I can see the light in Ben's eyes. Yeah. I, think I can get my questions in here. Infinity War and Endgame. Best cinemas in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And Endgame was my all-time favourite cinema experience. That was just <laughs> fantastic. Well, I was going to ask, and I'll try not to go too far off the deep end because there's so much I could ask you. Always a bone of contention in the Star Wars universe is the original trilogy, prequel trilogy, sequel trilogy. Do you have a preference? Uh, my preference is for Star Wars. Um, one of the things I think is most toxic at present is fandoms who try and gatekeep other people's enjoyment. Indeed. Um, I, I was still in the satellite business when Phantom Menace came out 
and I was seven years old again when I saw a new opening crawl for the first time in 1999, I think it was. And when Rise of Skywalker came out, I warned my nearly adult ch children that they would need to be the responsible adult once the opening crawl started because I would be seven again. Uh, and yeah, I, I when Star Wars comes on, I have the wonder of a child. We've just watched Ahsoka. Um, I could I could watch any of the Star Wars again, and and I love it. There's some bits I would change, yeah, absolutely. But there's some bits of almost every film I've watched I would change. But I I just want to enjoy what's there rather than spend my life going, oh, I didn't like that bit. Oh, I didn't like that bit. I, it's something in churches that happen. People instead of exploring the wonder of what people are offering, oh, I didn't like that bit. And I'm yeah. No, so so yeah. I don't have a preference, although I think Last Jedi and Rogue One are probably the best Star Wars films ever. I wouldn't agree on Last Jedi, but anyway, I'm proving your point if I do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I disabled your comeback. But no, and I hope you've done some sermons weaving in this sort of analogy. But, um, <laughs> I, I bet there is. Yeah. But there Go. is there is a childhood wonder about this. Is going to sound very nerdy, but being in the cinema, big screen, opening crawl, of oh, a Star yeah. Wars film, there is something very special about that. And I think you're right, it is celebrating what's good rather than focusing on sort of what's bad. And there has been sort of a new appreciation, I think, for the prequel trilogy mm. now because there was that toxicity at the time. But I think yeah. people who were children then, including myself, have now grown up and sort of looked back on it. And actually, that's the Star Wars we were sort of introduced with in a way. Yeah. Uh, Paul, you better throw a question in before I go. Yeah, we always a do a reading question. Are you reading much at the moment? Is there something that's on the bedside table before we finish that you, you oh, would read? Or? Um, currently, uh, two things uh, that I'm reading. Uh, first one is uh, some Tom Wright. Uh, Jackie and I have fallen in love with his For Everyone Bible series. Can I just shout out this? This is first clergy or anyone else we've had on the podcast that's mentioned Tom Wright, I think. And I've been stunned by that. Because that was like, I thought everyone's going to say Tom Wright. Oh, I went to Tom Wright or I read this Tom Wright. So well done for that. Uh, we're we're uh, in, the, in the partnership, we're doing a series on the parables in Matthew. And Tom Wright, uh, literally, uh, we could just print out what he's written. It's blessing Jackie and I with all of our theological training. And it's just as understandable to some of the folks that have done virtually no theology, some of the new Christians in church. So I love it. It's brilliant. Um, and the other thing is uh, I listen to books quite a lot so uh on audible on the way here i was listening to andy circus read the lord of the rings which is one of my favorite books and andy circus's performance of it is just exquisite so i'm enjoying the lord of the rings for the 49th maybe 50th time so listener um Stephen admitted on the way here he was going to listen to one of our earlier podcasts but decided to carry on listening to Andy Circus, which is absolutely fine now that he said it's the 49th time <laughs> I'm sort of sort of feeling less yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the first time I've listened to Andy Circus. Okay, all right, try so. and yourself out of that. We can't one. even say Andy Circus as a friend of the podcast. No, can we? Not I, know, <laughs> I, would, I would love him to be. Yeah. I'll do my Ian McKellen impression another time. Yeah, yeah um, maybe. You mentioned music on here as well. Do you have a particular genre of interest? Um, I like um, ballady type music. So, uh, as a as a younger man, uh, Christa Berg was an absolute favourite, and I've still got um, my phone has still got quite a lot of Christa Berg tracks on there that I've collected oh, over the years. Um, I love film score music. So John Williams is the man uh, oh, for those who understand yeah. that reference. Um, John Williams' film music is just epic. A uh, bit of Hans Zimmer. 
the Dune soundtrack is just gorgeous. Um, and without sounding too Christian geeky, I love worship music. Matt Redman is my go-to. There's a wonderful artist called Audrey Assad who's done some amazing versions of things like It Is Well With My Soul that have really blessed me. Um, and at present, I'm I'm sort of multiple mash repeating uh, a new song by Hillsong a hundred billion times, uh, which uh, I just speaks to my soul in ways that I can't begin to imagine. Yeah, they they put that out a few years ago, didn't they? And they, they ran into a couple of issues with some of the words in that. So um, we may discuss that later. But um, uh, don't get our theology from worship songs, everybody. That's not what we're saying. That's definitely not. And what as we're you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you've said. There's it's the word the that they best. Had, there's the word that they had a little bit of a pushback from certain audiences. Yeah, anyway, I'm, and that's I'm absolutely sure fine. they would. But for me, it's the best image of a God-directed creation I've ever come across. That right. that lit up my science head and gave me a whole new way to come back at those who say, oh, evolution's the only way to describe the universe. Yes, but where is it heading for? It's heading for where God said it needed to be. And I love that image. So, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful to our friends at Hillsong for pushing that particular button. Fantastic. Stephen, it's been great to speak to you. Always a pleasure to see you. We've seen quite a bit of each other recently, and yep. we will continue to. Thanks so much for coming in. It's been a Thanks real joy. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, uh, yes, if you've... Uh, Got any comments that you'd like to make? Words of grace at sheffield.anglican.org. And uh, it's been a great morning, Ben. It has. And just a reminder, don't forget, wear faith fortnight. Get involved uh, however on. you can. Yeah. Um, whatever you're doing today and throughout the next sort of fortnight and beyond, just um, help encourage others, build them up. And uh, Stephen, may the force be with you. And also with you. Lovely. Thanks, guys. <laughs>